Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Jay Carson and Michael Baranowski. Hi, welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Before we start today's show, I want to thank you for listening, posting reviews of the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and recommending the Politics Guys to your friends. Due to your support, we've seen a big increase in our audience over the last few weeks. And whether you're one of our new listeners or a longtime Politics Guys fan, we'd really appreciate it if you could write a quick review of the show on iTunes or Stitcher, and especially tell your friends about us on social media. Our website, politicsguys.com, that's politicsguys, one word, dot com, has all of our episodes as well as links to our iTunes and Stitcher pages. Thanks again for your support. Our top story this week is Tuesday's off-year elections, where Tea Party Republican Matt Bevin trounced Democrat Jack Conway in the Kentucky gubernatorial race and Ohio voters decisively rejected marijuana legalization. I thought first we'd talk a little bit about Kentucky. I I don't live there anymore, but I still work there, and so that is particularly of interest to me. Uh, I don't know, Jay, you you at least probably followed it somewhat, even though you're you're not a Kentuckian. I did, and also, yeah, and and my part of the state is probably as far from Kentucky as you can get, uh, which is not unintentional. Uh, But (laughs) you probably know a lot more. Uh, details about him. My sense is that, from what I've read, even among the Republican Party, he was not particularly well liked uh, uh, by a lot of folks. Yeah, well, he uh, he actually ran and gave Mitch McConnell a primary challenge when McConnell was up for re-election, uh, uh, arguing that McConnell was far too liberal, essentially. So uh, that kind of scary to me because certainly I would say that M- McConnell is no rhino, but. Uh, but Bevin is definitely a Tea Party conservative, and uh, he's never had any elective office before. But that seems to be less and less of a concern to voters. And uh, this is a this is a big thing for Kentucky because Kentucky, even though it's a very conservative state, has a history of electing uh, Democrats at least uh, to the to the governor. And uh, this is a this is a pretty big break with that. And I think uh, we're going to see some real changes in Kentucky as a result of this. What What is uh, Bevin's background? Where does he come from? He comes from, uh, he's a businessman. Uh, and what business I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of shady on right now. I'm not saying his business is shady. I'm sure it's, uh, <laughs> I, I maybe I'm trying to imply that certainly, but 
uh, he he's essentially, I guess, my boss now in in a way, as as I am a state employee. But uh, he his big thing is he ran against Obama and Obamacare, as most Republicans in the South, I think, tend to do. Nothing and, wrong with that. Uh, well, yeah, I think there's a lot wrong with that. But in any case, uh, he uh, has pledged to pull uh, Kentucky out of its state-funded or its state-run uh, Obamacare exchange, which actually is one of the most successful ones in the country. And there are a lot of folks on the left who are very concerned that this is going to push uh, to push a lot of people who got insurance out of insurance. And so I think uh, I think Matt Bevin's going to be a pretty big disaster for the state of Kentucky. And I'm horribly depressed at that result. And what what was the who was he running against, and what was the the final tally? Again, because I'm, yeah, I'm I'm an outsider here, so he was running against uh, Jack Conway, the Attorney General, uh, and uh, Conway in most polls was expected to uh, eke out a narrow victory, and the pollsters were way off because uh, Bevin beat him by I want to say something like low double digits. It was a it was a pretty decisive win, and, and a part of that was turnout. Uh, voter turnout was. Really, really low in Kentucky. I want to say it was uh, in the somewhere in the 30s, I think, which is, you know, certainly not well, probably par for the course, I'd imagine, on front off your election. Yeah, Maybe you know, low I'll, for gubernatorial, I guess. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, 31 percent of voters turned out. And so, you know, this has been a huge this is this is where we can take this past uh, Kentucky and make it a, a national thing is that Democrats tend to do really horrible in off-year elections, and those are elections uh, ending in odd years where you don't have races for Congress or the presidency, because they just don't come out in the force that uh, that Republicans do. And so their issues and their candidates tend to do really horribly. And certainly we see this in, in Kentucky and in some other issues as well. But uh, speaking of that, other issues is... Uh, uh, that one of those other issues is the uh, issue that's uh, in Ohio, was in Ohio at least, marijuana legalization, which again uh, was decisively defeated by the voters. And so, Jay, I know you were following this fairly closely. Well, both of us live in Ohio, so yeah. it's an issue and I, and I, and I think we even had on their show, did we, the, did we make our predictions on the show or did we say that off the air? I don't know if we did. Let's I think I, I know that we, at least off the air, I said that I thought both issues, both issue two and issue three would pass. And you you disagreed, and you turned out to be right. Uh, your call was right on the money, so congratulations. Of course I was right. Of course I was right. I actually – I would say I, I underestimated. I thought it would be a little bit closer than it was. Uh, but to me, I didn't really have many doubts that issue three was going to fail uh, for a couple reasons. Um, first, Ohio voters are at heart uh, conservative on a lot of these type of issues. Well, um, I, just, I disagree with that, but go ahead. Okay. No, no, no. I and and uh, let's put it this way. I think I think maybe the place where you live and uh, uh, a den of pot smokers, I imagine. Oh, Cincinnati is uh, <laughs> actually really pretty conservative. I think Cincinnati is in there. Hamilton County is probably is certainly more conservative than that den of liberalism in which you certainly, live, Cuyahoga no, I would, County. I would agree. I would agree that, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it probably passed fairly heartily in, in uh, Lakewood, where I live. Yeah. Um, but there's there's sometimes amongst us. Uh, I don't know if we're ivory tower types, but uh, look, we we live in areas and run in circles that that are outside of um, a lot of of uh, mainstream Ohio, and there are a whole lot of small town places who who say, "Hell no, we don't want no drugs," um, and are going to vote against it. Sure. Uh, so that's that was the first thing I think that a lot of people underestimated that there was there was a there was going to be a natural resistance there. 
Uh, and then the second issue had to do, of course, with, with how it was structured. Before we get to the how, I just want to make a point, and we can, we can get into this maybe a little bit, is, uh, you know, I, I think maybe you're right in the sense that voters tend to be a little more anti-pot legalization. But I think if we looked at citizens in general, then that shifts. And that's, again, ties into that problem that the Democrats have of getting people out in these off-year elections. And so I think that's a huge issue because if you take a look at Ohio, uh, now turnout was actually pretty good. For Ohio, it was like 40-something percent for this election, which was actually Mm -hmm. a little bit higher than it was for the midterm elections last year. But in presidential elections, that number jumps up to around 70 percent. So I really think – and this will get into our strategy discussion, I think – that if if the responsible Ohio, the group that sponsored this, would have waited until 2016, I think they would have had a lot better shot at making this happen. Well, uh, and, and they might still do that. Yeah. I think you could also say this was maybe a test run. Um, Ohio had something similar to this with uh, the casino issues, uh, which parallels in a lot of ways, sort of creates an oligopoly and allowed uh, certain casinos to operate in certain places. Um, And that took a a couple shots at the ballot before it finally passed. Um, So it might might be a matter of um, uh, this is a – you know, this was the first trial balloon, and we'll see what happens and, and try again. Um, but no, the other the other piece of this that that was uh, problematic, and this is what the no campaign uh, focused on to the extent there was a no campaign, and I, maybe it was maybe it was bigger in your neck of the woods than it was up here. It's hard. Really for, it's hard for me to say because uh, thanks to you know thanks to DVRs, I don't have to watch any of the campaign commercials, and I am forever okay. grateful. But even I'm saying billboards or signs or online, uh, I didn't see much of it up here. And mm-hmm. and, it, and again, I could see if you're a strategist, um, you want to focus on getting out the no vote uh, in the, the southern part of the state, which tends to be much more conservative than the, the Cleveland area. Right. Um, uh, so I, I can't speak for exactly what, what they did. But but you know what? I think next week we can probably get somebody who, who can speak to that. But that's another story. Um uh, so there was the oligopoly issue, and I, I think it's important if you looked at the returns, some of the places where it was defeated most heartily uh, by the biggest margins were places like Athens County, uh, home of Ohio University. Okay, I was going to ask you where, because yeah. Yeah, and, and that is, of course, uh, as many people, it is perennially listed as the top party school uh, in the country. <laughs> Uh, but I think I think it's Playboy that, that lists lists them. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, one would have expected, uh, you know, look if you if you've lost Athens County on marijuana legalization, uh, my God, you've got no hope. Right. Uh, and a lot of this, though, and also was Miggs County, which is nearby Athens, uh, and the the industry there is largely agricultural. Let's say. Okay. Um, uh, and, and I think there was a there there's a, a product often around uh, in Athens, Ohio, that's sort of re- referred to as Miggs County Gold. Uh-huh. Um, okay. uh, so I think you had a lot of resistance from uh, essentially growers. I mean, and the other folks. Sure. Who, uh, a lot uh, of people resented the the idea that the man essentially would be able to come in and set up these monopolies and they'd be exactly. shut out. Yeah, because podcasts are not I known for a, yeah. A wonderful analogy, that. actually, to like what the this was sort of the situation the colonists faced in 1773. Whoa! When when the British essentially were were in, going to enforce a monopoly, oligopoly, saying you can only buy your tea 
from the uh, East India Tea Company. Very uh, impressive, the, Jay. I like this. Exactly. Tying it back in American history. Oh, this is great. All these, yeah. no, all these things. And again, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And I think this is something to, to think about. And, and uh, a lot of people think the Boston Tea Party was about taxes on tea, which it sort of was. Uh, but it was more the bigger problem was the monopoly because a lot of the colonists would buy tea from sort of it was uh, uh, essentially, uh, um, oh, you know, I'm, I've, I've lost my word today. Uh, it happens to me all the time. I just stumble along until another word pops in place. And yeah, uh, it's my uh, lecture I want to say boot, tea, but uh, uh, from from the West Indies. Right, right. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, well, well, it, it's a lot like that. So yeah, people were rejecting the corporatization just as the colonists re- uh, rejected the corporatization of of their tea in seventy seven seventy three. So. so to me, the smarter the smarter way to have done it would have been number one to run it in twenty sixteen. Number two to make it medical marijuana as opposed to full legalization because there's a lot more public support for that in almost every poll. And third, to take away the monopoly aspect. And I think if a group's able well, to do all three of those things, that it's going to pass in Ohio. And would you have done like sort of the medical marijuana on the California model? Yeah, which exactly. Is sort of the medical marijuana with a with a wink and a nod. Well, that's that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that that would be a path to making it happen. But I think the people who are behind that weren't interested in that. They were interested in making just a, a ton of money off of yep. this, and it had nothing to do with bringing marijuana to Ohio for you know relief of people's whatever aches, pains, and existential angst or something like that. It had to do with them making millions and millions of dollars, and everyone knew that that was what was going on, and it just stunk to high heaven. Yep. So, yep. so any, I also wanted to mention one final thing we've mentioned it before, Buddy. Buddy, the marijuana yeah. mascot, is, you know, I was thinking, and I mentioned you earlier in the week, I'm not sure who's creepier, Buddy or the Burger King King, but they, they kind of are right up there in the annals of creepiest mascots. And just, it just, just you look at them and it makes your skin crawl a little bit, you know? Right. And a friend of mine who uh, worked on the, uh, helped, helped lead the campaign against uh, uh, Issue 3, uh, as soon as Buddy made his first appearance, uh, he posted something on Facebook saying, you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is this is the new face of the No on 3 campaign. No kidding. My God. Um, how brain dead. Uh, uh, and again, it seems to have been dreamt up in some sort of uh, hallucinogenic nightmare. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. so. Some pot infused. Yeah. You know, I oh, before we get off this story, I know we've been on it for a while. I wanted to point out a, sort of a larger trend that I think is sometimes – ignored when we talk about specific elections, but Democrats have just done horribly across the country since uh, what, since uh, Barack Obama became president. If you take a look, in 2009, which is the year Obama took office, there were Democratic governors in 28 states. Now there are only, with, with Bevin's win, there are only going to be Democratic governors in 17 states. And if we look at state legislatures in 2009, Democrats had full control in 27 of them. Now it's down to 11. So, I mean, it's been on the state level and where the state level is what really counts in a real way. People don't tend to follow state politics, but a lot lot of the laws that we live under, that's where they're made. And at Mm -hmm. the state level, Democrats have just been getting completely wiped out in the last, you know, in the last eight years. It's been it's been pretty disastrous for them, really. And I'll, and I'll add to that misery by, by saying that uh, it's not only control of a lot of these state legislatures, it is the 
um, the margins of control. Yeah, and they're they're pretty big in a lot of state legislatures. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, for example, in Ohio, I know this is in the last election we we're now at the sort of peak republicanism that that we've ever had in the history of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think similar states are also like that. And it's also in the the conservatism, as you point out, with uh, your governor Bevan, of the candidates being elected. Right. Uh, well, you know, and I think you're familiar with that old Tip O'Neill phrase, all politics is local. And that used to be, you know, it was a truism. But I think it's much less true today because if we look and see how candidates are winning, how conservative candidates are winning at the state and local level, so often now it's running against national figures, particularly President Obama, who's a hugely polarizing figure. And I think they're able to use that. And, and people are you know making their local choices based on the these uh, national level figures and national level policies. And maybe maybe there's a disconnect there, but it's certainly working as a strategy for Republicans in that level. And, and so a lot of Democrats are freaked out about this, but I guess I would say that this is kind of a natural thing. We sort of see the, the pendulum swing back and forth. And I don't expect that to, you know, I don't expect Republicans to have a durable majority at the state level for a generation or anything like that. There are a lot of things that work in the Democrats' favor, like demographics and some other stuff. But this to me is just how the system essentially is supposed to work when a bunch of people get freaked out by how liberal they see, you know, politics going. Well, then they react and there's a conservative backlash and so forth and so on. So, you know, to me, it's all kind well, of par for the course. Well, let's I I'd put a little different spin on it and, and say, keep in mind, when people run for local office and local, I'll even include, say, governor, uh, they typically rely on the leader of their party to help them out, uh, either through making appearances. I mean, that's sort of what you do. I mean, the president comes out and, and campaigns for you uh, in Senate races, in gubernatorial races, in state legislature uh, races. You have the governor or the attorney general or some other you know, uh, high-ranking state figure come out. And the problem is if you have sort of a polarizing or unpopular figure at the top, that makes it that much more difficult uh, for the people down ticket to uh, to run and and to do well. So I, I don't think it's it's necessarily just saying, uh, look, I'm I'm mad at Obama, so I'm going to vote for the Republican uh, for my city council uh, seat. Maybe not. Uh, you're right I, at that level. At the sure, I think you're absolutely right at that at that kind of local level. There's probably a lot less of that real local level. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, but it it, it affects the ability to really campaign uh, well because a lot of Democrat candidates have to spend time uh, sort of distancing themselves from from Obama. Of you know, what will you do if uh, I'm elected? Well, not not exactly what that guy will do. Sure. Um, and, and to point out, we saw the same thing with uh, President George W. Bush. I mean, when, sure. When and and became... again, it's it's an absolute truism that uh, you know, in off year elections, the the party um, who does not have the presidency usually does quite well. Right. Um, so, uh, but uh, so, yeah. no, the, the the bigger issue for Democrats again, they keep touting the the demographics, and I sort of get that, and I sort of don't. Um, because we'll talk about Republican candidates in a minute and, and who they are and where they come from. Um, but the bigger problem for Democrats on a lot of state levels and nationwide is the lack of a farm team because they're not electing these people to, uh, state representative offices, uh, uh state Senate seats. Uh, they don't have that, um, farm team to go to for attorney generals, for governors, 
and then they don't have that farm team to go to for presidential candidates down the road. So not that it seems to matter as much as it used to since, uh, well, this is maybe just only true on the Republican side, that lack of experience actually seems to be a good thing. Uh, but I think that's probably more true on the Republican side than on the Democrat side, at least. At well, point, it, it, is, so. it is for now. Yeah. But uh, so who's, let's talk about uh, uh, someone who's probably your uh, most recent um, inexperienced politician uh, who's, who's been in the news lately. It's uh, Ben Carson. Sure. Yeah, uh, Ben no Carson. Relation. Say Ben Carson had a rough week this week, and right uh, currently he's uh, neck to neck really with uh, Donald Trump at the top of the primary polls. Both of them would be first time elected officials if they did end up winning. God forbid. Uh, but a number of media outlets, including the conservative Wall Street Journal, started to question some of the more uh, I guess you call them sensational elements of his life story, as Carson is uh, recounted in his books and his speeches. And uh, right. ben, ben was pretty testy about that. Well, and, and it, here's the irony of that, and I don't think the media still gets it. That's almost really been the secret to Trump's success thus far, is, hey, I'm the guy that the media hates. Right. Um, the media hates me but can't stop covering me. Um, and and that, that's been the, no, the biggest thing. Carson's using that in a big way, absolutely. Yeah. And after the last um, debate, uh, Cruz used it. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to hit on on something that I think is significant, and I will come right out and say it. Um, the media mobilization, it seems, within the last week against Ben Carson is really sort of amazing. Um, I'm, I'm always – I'm hesitant – I shouldn't say hesitant. I'm more than hesitant to ever presume racial motives. So I want to make clear that I'm not oh, saying geez. that. Oh, jeez. Okay, okay. No, okay. no, 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 no. Because okay. no. I'm, I'm saying I want to make clear I'm not saying Okay, that. okay. Uh, but – there is a, a conservative black Dem, or a conservative black Republican uh, poses often an existential threat to uh, the media narrative, uh, and when when there is a person like that who who starts to achieve prominence, and in this case it's Ben Carson who sort of topped the polls uh, just recently, all of a sudden it's the full court press of of taking down uh, him on on sort of every every possible front. Uh, and I, I think it's, again, I don't want to attribute to race because I think it's more attributable to ideology. Yeah, I think uh, definitely. But, I think I think on both the left and the right, at least the mainstream right, uh, witness the Wall Street Journal report, they see him as, a, as, a, as someone who would be a disaster as president and someone who has no business running for president. And they're concerned that if this guy would somehow manage to get elected, I don't think they're even concerned about that. I think if they're concerned that if he ends up by some disaster being the nominee, that Hillary Clinton basically walks into the White House. So I I I think that's probably the the Wall Street Journal's bigger concern. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, no, I I don't think Ben Carson will be the nominee. I don't think uh, even if if he was, he certainly wouldn't. I doubt that he would be elected. I want to point out, um, but that... I, I do want to I do want to defend him on a couple fronts and okay. sort of point out some of the media overkill. Uh, you know, the first statement came uh, a couple weeks ago where he said something to the effect of, uh, when a question about his experience, uh, that the Ark was built by amateurs and uh, uh, the Titanic was built by professionals, which was a joke line, obviously. Exactly, and that's what that's a joke line. That's that's a cliche. That's something that has been said for uh, well since the Titanic sunk, probably. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, but, but it was very much portrayed as, uh, here is, you know, either, either one, it's Ben Carson with the dog whistle to the religious right, 
uh, by mentioning Noah and the Ark. Well, a little uh, bit. I mean, come on. Perhaps. Play perhaps to his maybe. base, sure. Uh, or, or it is a, you know, look, look how crazy this guy is. He's, he's believing in Noah's Ark and, and the animals coming two by two and you can't have this guy president, which I think is, is really sort of a, a misrepresentation and sort of blowing up and showing the, the sort of freak out that you got in some, uh, media quarters. Now, again, that was more in the, the, uh, uh, the Voxy Slady salon type sure. uh, place as opposed to the New York times. Uh, but, but that was the, uh, the, the reaction, um, and then the you know the next one was CNN's reporting last week about allegedly Ben Carson did not beat up uh, some kids fifty years right. ago. Um, and again, it was a funny thing because when I, the story when I first heard about the story, I was sitting at lunch in a, a restaurant and there was a TV on with you know I couldn't hear the sound. You just sort of see the, saw them crawl at the bottom, um, and I was trying to figure out are they trying to portray that Ben Carson is is a horrible bully and so forth and therefore shouldn't be elected? But but no, it's quite the opposite. It's because he said in his book that he got into a lot of fights and beat people up when he was a kid, and now they're saying, oh no, you didn't. Uh, let's prove it. Let's let's uh, see a victim here. Right. Um, now, which again, yeah, and that, that's pretty difficult to pretty difficult to prove either way. Certainly, now there were some other stories that would seem a little less, uh, seem a little more likely that he may have been stretching the truth. My favorite one, and I'm sure you've heard this one, is that he uh, apparently recounted that he was in this psychology class at Yale where uh, the professor did an experiment and he turned out to be the only honest person in the class and therefore got his picture taken for the Yale Daily News and so forth. And it turns out that not only is there no picture in the Yale Daily News for that year, but uh, that class never actually existed. So the irony about lying about being the only honest person in a class that didn't exist. But, you know, to me, this stuff is just ridiculous. Yeah, It has nothing to do with what sort of a president Ben Carson would be. I think. I think Ben Carson is a nut. I think he's. I think he has some insane <laughs> policy ideas. And sure, maybe he's a nut in his private life too. But that totally doesn't matter to me. I don't care if he's smoking dope or if he's. You know, if he stabbed some kid 30, 40 years ago or didn't. To me, that matters not at all. What matters to me is he'd be a policy disaster for this country. And so I can reject him purely on those grounds. And I think everyone else should reject him purely on those grounds without caring about this stuff that the media gets into such a tizzy about. Well, it's very, that's very high-minded of you. I I, I usually take that approach there. uh, But we should point uh, out that Ben Carson is not going to be the nominee. I mean, there's there's essentially zero chance of that right now. The prediction markets right. have him at six percent chance of being the nominee. I mean, it's it's almost certainly at this point. It it's going to take a lot for it to not be Rubio. I think. So Ben Carson is having his moments, having his moment, just like Herman Cain did, and some other Donald Trump did, and some other folks. You always see this. The nuts pop up for a little while, then they go back down. But uh, the Republicans are smart enough. I believe, to nominate a reasonably sane candidate who will do a lot better against Hillary Clinton than someone like Ben Carson or Donald Trump would do. Well, they, they go back down after uh, when people actually start voting. Yeah. I think that's the other the big thing. And, and here's, here's something else that, that I just like to throw out there. I mean, you mentioned that the polls uh, did not predict the Bevin win uh, uh, by any right. stretch of the imagination. Right. Uh, what polls there were on issue three, at least public polls that were out there, uh, you know, the, the, the common, you know, uh, throughout the media was, oh, issue three is going to, you know, sail through. Um, 
And I think I think folks ought to realize, look, there's there's polls and then there's there's actual real polls. Right. And so often the the media uh, performed polls or driven polls are done just to sell newspapers uh, or get clicks uh, and really have very little bearing on reality. Uh, the internal polls that campaigns do uh, are often uh, really super accurate. Uh, and, and, you know, just because the methodology is better, because they're not trying to get a certain outcome, uh, they're right. looking they want to know, yeah, they want to know where they're at actually. Yeah. And yeah. so, and the internal polls that are released are tend to be, uh, tend, tend to be very favorable to the candidate, but that's only because they're not going to release an internal poll that says, Hey, we're behind by 10 points. Exactly. And, and the, you know, the other thing is so many of the internal polls really take into account, uh, who is likely to yeah, vote. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. And I think that's that is also one of the, the biggest uh, uh, factors that that comes into things of uh, looking at someone who votes once every three years versus someone who votes in every election. Um, that can really change your poll. So yeah. I guess that's that's my other thing is all these polls, and I've said this for six months now that show your Donald Trump's uh, way up. Uh, they may or may not be actual legitimate polls, and when people actually start voting, uh, you're going to see a different story. Now I'm not going to say that that Donald Trump hasn't done surprisingly well, uh, that he doesn't have some support out there. Um, what I'm saying is, is I don't think it is what uh, people say it is. Definitely, so. definitely. And also, lead, and also one more thing. <laughs> Leading when you're uh, the top tier, uh, top person in a field of 10 or so um, is much different. It's, it's, you could also say, like, look, uh, a good 75% of the Republican Party uh, does not want Donald Trump uh, as its right. nominee. Yeah. Uh, and so when, when the rest of the field thins out, things will change dramatically. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, let's uh, move from uh, elections to actual policy-type stuff. Uh, well, one, okay. one, 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 no, one please, more thing. go ahead. All right, one look, more thing. I'm gonna, look, Van Carson, also I want to say, the pyramid thing, uh, that's just plain goofy. Sure, what, what Carson said, that the, he thought that the pyramids were uh, some sort of a grain storage-type thing, for Joseph's yes. stored grain yes. there or some such nonsense, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, and and it's it's one of those things that again, this is going to be one of those reasons why you you understand that people tend to elect uh, uh, politicians who have some experience. Yes, I think that's. A I real would good I would thing, say yeah. that his his statement about the founding fathers not being experienced. I think he, I think maybe he meant to say something different that you know they weren't career politicians or professional politicians. They were other people who did other uh, trades, other businesses, other walks of life, as opposed to what we think of today as the professional politician. But they had plenty of political experience as opposed to Yes, ben exactly. Carson. No, no, no. They were, yeah, most all of them office holders in their state legislatures or um, – Or had been uh, working in politics in some way for years and years as opposed to exactly. you know, being so a neurosurgeon I, I, and deciding, hey, it would be cool if I could be president. You know? Yes. Well, again, there, there were plenty of people who were, were – were doctors, uh, but again, it's it's because the the pool that you were fishing from back then it was just sort of the educated folks, and there weren't that many of them, yeah, um, who who could fill those positions. But I, I think again, I maybe I think it's a little unfair that people take shots at him for saying that. But the bigger point to me is uh, because he doesn't have the experience, he says stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, exactly. If, if he had more experience, he would he would phrase it better. Uh, and he could make the same point without uh, looking dumb or at least opening up the opportunity for someone to attack him for looking I, dumb. I don't know that he could make the point that 
that the pyramids, in his view, were used for grain storage without looking dumb. I think that that might be actually impossible to do. But anyway, um, see, well, that's that's exactly sort of where I'm where I'm also going is because when you're writing for president uh, of the United States of America in 2015, uh, what the pyramids were used for is not one of the bigger issues. No. But it's that, one of those that does message, go that does go to your sanity. What, we, is what they call it in the business. You know, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, let's let's move off of election and talk about actual policy for a little bit. We still have a few minutes. Uh, one big story is came up this week is on Friday, President Obama announced that he was rejecting the proposed Keystone XL pipeline, which would have carried uh, around eight hundred thousand barrels a day of carbon heavy oil from Canada from Canada's Alberta tar sands to the Gulf Coast. So uh, go ahead. Carbon heavy oil. Yeah, the dirty oil. That stuff that this comes. This is the special, the special carbon heavy. Uh, it's it's the uh, nasty really stuff. It's no, it, it's it's the, it's the environmentally pretty crappy stuff. So uh, it's not the really good oil. It is not the cleaner type of oil to uh, to extract. No, absolutely. And so this has kind of been a big deal to environmentalists who cheered the decision. Uh, and so I don't know. What did you think about this, Jay? Um, we'll talk sometime about. I mean the amount of carbon and oil and, and so forth, the refining process. But uh, I mean, listen, I am, I am shocked, shocked uh, that, that Obama has decided to uh, do this. Um, you know, this, this has been a foregone conclusion for like the last, what, seven years uh, that, that Obama would not permit uh, the Keystone pipeline. Well, the thing is, uh, I, I give him, I give him a little bit of credit for at least now he's sort of honestly standing by his convictions as opposed to sort of saying like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm waiting for more information and so forth. Uh, this was going to be the decision all along, and um, uh, well, it, you know, he's already he already sort of paid a price for it, yeah. or Mary Landrieu paid a price for it, and, and others. Um, well, it became uh, so, a big. I mean, it's it's really uh, it's really again a much ado about nothing thing, in the sense that it. Uh, the State Department has run numerous analyses of this, and they found that essentially this is going to have almost zero long-term impact on jobs, and it's going to have almost zero long-term impact on climate change. And so it's pretty much a nil thing. And the thing that the thing that bugs me is that President Obama said pretty much flat out that if the State Department finds that this isn't going to be a significant contributor to climate change, I'm going to let it go through. And the State Department found that, and he basically went back on his word as far as I see it. So this is, I think this is symbolic politics at its worst. And my feeling is that other things being equal, you let these sort of, you let the market work in these situations and other things are equal. And President Obama basically threw a bone to his, you know, to his friends in the environmental movement. And, and, and I have a problem with that. Well, good for you. Good for you. I'm, I'm on the, the side that, look, I didn't believe him in the first place. I always thought he was going to uh, uh, veto this proposal. And now, of course, the irony is if someone wants to ship their oil uh, to refineries in the United States, they can do so by truck, uh, which is further, you know, more fossil fuel and, and more likely to spill and all yeah, that. I, I think the theory behind that is that it, it is, in fact, cheaper and more efficient to ship the oil through a pipeline. And, and the thinking I've heard from some folks is that by 
forcing them by shutting down the pipeline before it's built, obviously, and forcing people to do it through truck or rail, that raises the cost and makes it less likely that those that that oil will be extracted in the first place. So that right. I think is, and there's a lot of oil there. And, that's, something and, like that's, that's, and that is an outstanding policy if I want to raise the price of oil. I'd like to raise the price of gasoline. Uh, well, again, that is... Well, that, that's another issue, and I think that's actually a very good idea, though I'd want to do it through something like a carbon tax. But again, that's a whole other issue. I think we can both agree that this is this is an example of symbolic politics. And uh, I, I don't think you're going to disagree with me that President Obama essentially went back on his word here, at least at least how I, I interpret it. Absolutely. So. Shame on him. Uh, and hopefully this this situation will get remedied some yeah. some at some point, because, look, as, as from a larger energy standpoint, you know, policy standpoint, um, I would much rather rely and, and exploit the resources we have here in North America uh, than to depend on uh, places uh, that are, are further east of here. Yeah, and we're pretty energy independent now, thanks to uh, thanks to fracking, whether you like it or not. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a lot less of an issue this energy independence issue than it was even a decade ago. So, but uh, yeah, one day we might have to do a, a longer a longer episode or maybe a full episode on these energy issues, which at least I think that to, to, to you and me are are pretty interesting. So, right, and I think we, we, would, we would agree on actually a lot of them. Probably, yeah. which is, I don't know, yeah. that'd make for a great podcast, but it'd be fun for us. So anyway, um, we're running kind of short on time, but there was one other story I wanted to just briefly mention before we end today's podcast, and that is uh, President George H.W. Bush, uh, I think of him as the good Bush, uh, is making news even before the official release of his autobiography on Tuesday, November 10th, which is coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, the Marine Corps' 240th birthday, uh, and congratulations and, to you well, as a Marine veteran. Appreciate it. Thank you. Are and, you a Marine veteran or you're just always a Marine? I I, you're always good. a Marine. It's kind of like being a yeah. priest or something like that. So, yeah. But President George H.W. Bush, who I actually liked and voted for, he's 91 now, probably doesn't have a lot of time left. And so in this autobiography, which is written by John Meacham, who's done a number of these uh, a big autobiography or big biographies, sorry, uh, took some shots at Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld. Uh, basically called them kind of hardliners, too full of swagger. I like he used the term iron ass to describe both of them. And Cheney, of course, Cheney, of course, responded, well, iron ass sounds like a compliment to me. Damn you know? right. But, uh, <laughs> basically that his boy was misled by his hawkish, let's invade and bomb everything advisors, essentially. Yeah. Now, again, I, I haven't read the, the, no one's read the book yet. Um, it's on uh, my Amazon list. I, I'm, I'm actually pretty interested in reading because George H.W. Bush, an interesting guy, you know, World War II veteran, yeah. did a lot of spook stuff with the CIA and so forth. And yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty good biography. But, but again, I think, I think I, there is a, a vast stylistic difference uh, between George H.W. Bush and the Rumsfelds and the Cheneys. Uh, it, it's, again, Maybe that's what's what's coming out. It's uh, um, definitely yeah, a, big a, little, style a little more, a little more. Um, uh, well, it's uh, Kenny Bunkport, yeah. Kenny Bunkport versus uh, uh, you know, Montana. You know what I mean? I think well, 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 definitely. I mean, George H. W. Bush represents the old style Republicans, the Eastern establishment type Republicans, the Republicans that I actually remember back in the day voting for, and I felt like I could vote for these guys. And well, it was more the more the Chamber of Commerce and yeah. uh, Country Club and blue sport coats and uh, yeah, that sort of thing. And 
And and I got to tell you, God, I love that stuff. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those those like I said, back then I was a Republican, and those were my people, and I felt very comfortable voting for someone like George H. W. Bush, you know, and uh, as opposed to someone like Michael Dukakis, who I love his characterization of Dukakis was apparently he called him a, a midget geek or something like that. Which was right, exactly, pretty yeah. good. But but anyway, uh, Republicans have changed an awful lot since Papa Bush's day. That's for sure. Well, I, I disagree with you on, on all of that. Well, you're um, totally wrong, but that's okay. I have to let it go because, you know, you have uh, but the right to be wrong. Again, I, I think it's, it's often it's, it's more the, uh, uh, the how it's said rather than what's being said. Um, but it will be, be interesting to, uh, to see the book come out. I'm actually reading uh, John Meacham, or, uh, Meacham's, uh, Meacham's uh, book on uh, your favorite person, uh, Thomas Jefferson, right now. Oh, God. Um, Worst so president. I'll, 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 let you know, I'll let you know how that turns out. Yeah, so. thanks. At least so. he dies in the end. Anyway, um, I didn't just say that. So, uh, so yeah, uh, with that, I think we're, we're just about out of time for today. So uh, uh, that's really it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.